You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Uh, I wanna turn our attention to the message this morning. We're in a series called Rhythms and we're talking about the spiritual disciplines that we can actually incorporate into our life. One of the series before this is called Disconnected, getting disconnected from the things of the world. And my prayer is that you would get disconnected from the world, not just to be disconnected from the world, but so that you could actually get reconnected with God. And so these spiritual disciplines are meant to guide us in this process. There's a lot of spiritual dif- disciplines that we can look at, um, but here's the title of the message this morning. It's real simple. It's this, the gift of being present, the gift of being present. Um, my wife works full-time in corporate America and she works for a home health agency and it's awesome and she loves her job and she's very, we're very thankful for the job that she has and she's been there for a number of years. But one of the things I find fascinating, by the way, and if you're in corporate America, you're gonna relate to a lot of this stuff and if you're not, it's still gonna be kind of funny. We have, and just to kind of set this up, we have a lot of people from the West and the North that are moving to the South. And if you're new to the area, there's something in the South that Southerners know really well and it's a phrase that just says, bless your heart. And it's a way of telling you you're dumb without telling you you're dumb. Because we will tell it. And so I'm going to make you feel better about yourself real quick. Okay. My wife and I, this past, uh, in the summer, we put in, we, we did some work in our backyard and we put in pavers in our patio area, these brick pavers that we put in there. And my wife wanted a herringbone pattern. Now you can look that up if you don't know what a herringbone pattern is. But we were setting the herringbone pattern down and the way you set it matters because it's gonna affect the whole direction of things. And so they put it down this way and they're like, do you like that? And I said, well, you know, I'm not really sure. What if we flip it this way? Now, if you... <laughs> You have to understand a herringbone pattern because flipping it does absolutely nothing. It's the exact same pattern. And so the guy looked at me and was like, and he didn't say bless your heart, but his face was like, "Mm." and there is a Hispanic crew that was going to be laying it, pulled me inside. And he was, you know, obviously I speak Spanish. I feel half Latino. And he's like, you need to know that by flipping it, it doesn't do anything different. It's the same pattern. And they don't have a phrase for bless your heart in Spanish. But that was, so having said that, in the corporate world, there's all, like if you get into an email thing in the corporate world, there's all kinds of phrases that say one thing but mean something very different. It's actually, I find it to be kind of hilarious. So I have a couple of slides here and if you're not in the corporate world, if you get an email that says, per my last email. These are by the way, happen to be passive aggressive. Can't you read? I already told you this. You complete more per my last email. I have a couple of these. Let's go to the next one if we can. Correct me if I'm wrong. Now, if you get one of these, it basically means I know I'm not wrong and there's no use in trying to challenge my opinion. Anyone get an email like this ever before? Okay, no, all right. I got a couple more, just real quick. All right, here's another one. Friendly reminder. By the way, nowhere near friendly. This is... This had to be done yesterday. Two more. Uh, uh, Let's see. Not sure if my last email was received. Just how long do you think you can ignore me? Which (laughs) it was, anyway, here's the last one. To put it simply, are you seriously this stupid? Is saying the thing without saying the thing. Anyway, I I think it's hilarious. So let me give you, When it comes to spiritual things, let me give you a word that is direct in all its ways. 
It's very direct and it's a spiritual rhythm. It's not hidden behind a veil of what it actually is meant to be. It's a, it's a simple word and yet it's a direct word. And it's the word, it's the word, it's the word repentance. It doesn't hide anything. And repentance is one of the greatest spiritual rhythms, disciplines we can have in this room. And I think sometimes if you've been a Christian for a while, it can be difficult because we can look at repentance and feel like, oh man, that's such a downer. Because now we have to deal with the things we don't wanna deal with or we wanna gloss over certain things. I'm here, I want you to see repentance in a different light. Repentance is not a downer. Actually, if anything, repentance can actually be one of the greatest things that we can all experience in our walk with the Lord. It can absolutely be that because God wants more things for you than he actually wants from you. It's not hidden behind a veil. So I wanna take this spiritual rhythm and I wanna talk about repentance for just a moment. Before we get into a couple of verses on repentance, where does this all start? This idea that we need to actually repent for where we've gone wrong. Well, Genesis, all the way back in the beginning, I want us to actually look, it actually says Genesis 11, I think in the verse here, but it's not, it's actually Genesis three. Uh, I wanna actually look, this is the moment in which Adam and Eve sinned and God is gonna come in verse eight and actually deal with them. This is not Genesis 11, that'll be a very different passage. In Genesis 3, eight, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden. Let me stop here for a second. There's a lot of you that think that you could only spend time with God in the morning. I want you to see here in the beginning, it was in the evening breezes. Glory, hallelujah. You, my not morning people, you declare this passage over your life. I don't have to spend time with God at five in the morning. Why? Because at five in the morning, you're not there yet. In the cool of the evening breezes. All right, sorry, that's a separate conversation. All right, he was in the garden. So Adam and Eve, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid. And in the weirdest verse, I was afraid because I was naked. So here you have the moment in which sin enters into the world. They did what they were not supposed to do, and you know the story, you've heard the story. But this one little phrase in here says that the moment that sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve realized for the first time that they had been naked this entire time, but they realized when sin entered that they were all of a sudden naked, and it says very plainly, and I was ashamed. We were ashamed. We, we were hiding. And I am telling you as a pastor because I see it. I've seen it in my own life, and I see it all the time in the world that you and I live in. People hide constantly. You're hiding here today. It's this natural thing that can happen to all of us in this room. Let me put it to you another way, ready? How many of you in your life have ever felt less than or not good enough? Have you ever felt like somehow you could never measure up no matter what you did? Maybe, maybe when you were a kid, someone told you, you're never gonna be able to do this and then you spent your life trying to prove that you could. I'm here to tell you, so many of us in this room, and you might have accomplished a lot in this life, and do you know underneath of that accomplishment, there's still someone inside of you that says, I wonder if I've got what it takes. Because in the condition for all of us in this room is a shame, a not good enough. There's a brokenness. And out of all the things, think about this, in the very beginning that Adam and Eve would be, they would look at themselves and be like, we don't wanna feel, ready, exposed anymore. We don't wanna feel ashamed anymore. So how do we get out of this place of shame? Because it exists, it's in this room right now. There are a lot of us that are hiding today. 
And we can pump, come put on a good front, but at the end of the day, we still have those inner feelings of not good enough, brokenness. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we get out of that? And this is what I believe God gave us the rhythm of repentance for. That we would be able to see that God actually longs for us to no longer hide, but to come out, ready, forgiven and set free. And when you see the word repentance, not as some, oh, okay, repentance. But if you look at repentance as an avenue to be made whole, I'm telling you, it is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines that you and I could ever walk with in our life. So I wanna look at a couple of verses real quick. This is first Acts 3.19. There's a lot of verses on repentance, but I wanted to go to the New Testament here real quick. Acts 3.19 from the NIV, it says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing might come, may come from the Lord. Repentance precedes refreshing. And how many of us, because we stay hiding, we want God to move in our life, but we're unwilling to repent. We want God to move despite us actually having repentance. And so I'm here to tell you something. Repentance precedes refreshing. You want to experience a move of God? Come to God and confess. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Confession is not meant just at the moment of salvation because after you get saved, I know this is crazy, you're still not perfect. You married someone, they're not perfect, are they? You have kids, they're not perfect. Once you get saved... Yeah, that's yeah, super not perfect. Gabriel, is that what's happening over there? That was your <laughs> not perfect. And so it's real. So God gives us this to repent. Here, here, here's another one, 2 Peter 3 9. Ready? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What if God actually waiting to work in your life in the way you want him to is actually giving you the time to come to God and actually confess and repent and to say, God, here I am. And to bring it before him, to no longer feel like you have to hide and be in shame. I have, a, I have the privilege myself of in a couple of, uh, actually in two months, going to Saudi Arabia. Myself and a couple pastors here in the upstate area, we're actually gonna travel over there um, kind of a really cool opportunity. And we're gonna go to where we believe the Israelites actually were. There's a traditional uh, place of where they believe Mount Sinai is, but we don't believe that actually Mount Sinai is in the traditional place. And so a door is opened up and we're gonna go to where we believe the real Mount Sinai actually is and to see where we believe the Israelites actually were. It's gonna be a fascinating trip. And if it goes well, we might actually invite you guys if you guys wanna come down there. But it's kind of a pioneering trip because there's not a whole lot of people going down to, to Saudi Arabia these days. So we're gonna sneak in and hopefully sneak out. That's the goal. And so, and if it doesn't go well, you're safe because you're here. But anyway, I'm gonna go and we're gonna come back, but we're gonna experience and see. I, I wanna show you some pictures of some of the things we're gonna see. Here, let me show you one. This is the rock of Horeb. The Bible in the Old Testament talks about how Moses struck a rock and water came flowing out of that to give the Israelites water. It's an incredible place. There's a rock right there we're gonna be able to look at and there's evidence of water erosion. It's pretty incredible to see. In the story of the Israelites in the Exodus, they, they go to this plain in which God is on the top of a mountain and he's communicating with Moses. And the Bible says that the top of the mountain is blackened, it's charred because the God's presence was so strong and all the Israelites were down in the plain. Let me show you a picture of where we believe Mount Sinai is. 
And this isn't just an issue of shading. This mountain right here, where I'm gonna get a chance to see on my own and take my own pictures, actually is blackened at the top. And at the base of this mountain is a massive plain where you can have a large gathering of people. It's absolutely incredible. And they found a massive altar, a huge altar down there. And I'll show you the picture of the altar. It's massive. This huge stone slab, it's absolutely incredible. And etched into the altar are bovine creatures. Would have been the gods that could have easily been the gods of Egypt. And if you've read this story, you know that Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. But while he's up there communing with God, all the Israelites begin rebelling and they create a golden calf on an altar and they begin worshiping other gods. Moses comes down and is angry and has to rebuke what is happening down at the bottom. And I'm gonna get a chance to witness all of these things. Now, the reason I'm showing you this is because I find it, to me, incredible. A, I believe these places could be the places where these events actually happen. But here you have a God who created the world, Adam and Eve, as we just finished reading, they sinned and they fell into incredible deep levels of shame. And here God is and he handpicks the people, the Israelite people, and you read the story in Exodus where he brings them out of slavery and he brings them into a wilderness, the wilderness that I'm gonna be into. And what is he trying to teach them? He's teaching them that he always has a way to make it through. By the way, the journey from Egypt to the promised land is only 11 days. Do you know how many years they spent wandering? 40. Because they weren't getting the lesson. When there was no water, God brought them water. When there was no food, God brought them food. When there was no way through something, God made a way through. He, he, he was a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he was trying to communicate with his people that he had a way through all of the things that would come against them. And I, it's gonna be awesome to be able to see and witness for myself. And one of the greatest things that you and I have as Christians with the shame and guilt is that God has made a way through. That the God who spoke to Moses on top of the mountain to deliver the commandments, and Moses couldn't have known this, came and walked among us and he gave his very life on the cross, and he spilled his blood. Why would he do this? Because he's a God who makes a way, and what does he make a way through? For the areas in our life where we are less than, where we are broken, where we have sinned, where we have jacked things up so royally that we can't seem to get out of it. What did he do? He gave his life so that anyone who cries out to him, anyone who confesses to him, this God says, you are forgiven and made right and made whole. Do you know what that could do to all of us if we had this understanding in our souls to the core that in every area of our life that we have kept hidden, that we are ashamed of, that we're broken about, that we could take all of, by the way, none of those are hidden from God to begin with. He sees all of them. Do you know what it means to be able to take all of these things and go before him and to bring it and say, God, here I am. And for the God who knows you more than you know yourself to say, you're forgiven. You're no longer have to live in the I'm not good enough world. What would change about God's kingdom if you left realizing that you're not a second tier citizen? You don't have to live and be ashamed. I'm telling you, 
This is life transformative. And this is exactly the path that repentance does. Let me, let me give you some thoughts with repentance. Ready? Real quick. And this is, this is the, one of the core essences of Christianity. What it means to be a Christian. Let me give you a phrase that's getting harder to say in our current world. Ready? Repentance simply means saying this. Ready? I was wrong. Ready? We're going to all say it together. Yeah, it might have been a while since you said this. At the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I was wrong. Do you know what that can do? Just like, I know it's hard to come out of your mouth. <laughs> if you're married, by the way, you want to say, and you were wrong, and you were wrong, and you were wrong, 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 wrong. But I'm here to tell you something. Do you know what would change in your marriage? If you go and you say, you know what? Okay, I was wrong. Leave your spouse baffled. Mess up the whole argument by just admitting you were the jerk in the situation. See what happens there. I was, by the way, it's amazing what can change in a situation if you just openly admit out there, I was wrong. Get it off your chest. Stop trying to hide stuff. I, I was, this is a couple of years ago when Westside, this, the church that was here joined us. In the middle of that, we were in the theater across the street. I didn't have an office. So I was working at Panera. I was working at Panera right here in Simpsonville. And apparently I was on the phone, but because I was on the phone, I didn't realize how loud I was being. So someone came over to let me know how loud I was being. They're like, sir, you're being really, really loud and you're being kind of a jerk and will you please be more quiet? And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and I, didn't, I was like in the middle of a thick conversation, which is even worse because I'm like, all that information is getting to everybody. And so I wrapped up my conversation and I was like, well, that was super awkward. And my first instinct was, I'm gonna tell you where you're wrong, you stupid face. Don't ever come over here. But then I was like, they might come to church at some point and that'd be awkward. So I got up out of my seat. They had moved somewhere else in like this huff puff frustration. And I went over there and he saw me coming and I could see him tense up just a little bit. And I said, sir, you're right. I was too loud. I was wrong. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, thank you and have a great day. I was like, you too, sir. <laughs> I was wrong. Adam and Eve are stuck in their nakedness and God is saying, where are you? By the way, when God asks a question, he already knows answers to things. When he asks us questions, what he's really trying to do is get us to understand what he's trying to get out of us. And they said, we're hiding because you came along and we are ashamed of our nakedness. What he's trying to get them to acknowledge, ready, is I was wrong. What would change in your life if you just finally stopped trying to put the blame on everybody else? By the way, do you know, and I'm just gonna go on a tangent here, I'm gonna go on a rant. There's a lot of bad stuff that can happen to you in your life, but the Bible ever, never ever defines you as a victim. It actually says in Romans that you are more than a conqueror. And if you look at the passage in Romans chapter eight, it's not a list that you wanna be on. It's nakedness and fam nakedness, Adam and Eve. Oh, that's a good tie. I'm gonna remember that better for second service. Like, like I was intentional. <laughs> nakedness and famine. It's a whole bunch of things that come against you. And in that list of bad things that happen to you, the Bible doesn't say, oh, when you're a victim, by the way. Oh, poor you. By the way, the world is gonna to wanna to make you a victim because if you're a victim, that's only how you're ever gonna see yourself. You were never created to be a victim. You were created for more. And so God calls you ready more than a conqueror. And how do you get to a place where you're more than a conqueror? It's because you openly admit, yes, some bad stuff might've happened to me, but we're all sinners in this world. We're all broken. So what am I? I am sorry because I was wrong. And I am not defined by my mistakes or I'm not even defined by the things that happened to me. Do you know what really defines you the most? The one who created you. That's the one who wants to define you. So what, I mean, it's this life-changing way of viewing yourself. I was wrong. I, had a, I cut off a lady in a parking lot of a Walmart one time. And she followed me to my parking space. 
I got out of my car. I thought it was gonna be a fisticuffs fight. I'm like, this is by the way, I didn't wanna have a church bumper sticker. I'm like, for real, you have a church bumper sticker, you better drive good because it's a whole thing. She got out to start yelling at me. I, I just said, ma'am, you're right. I cut you off, I was wrong. She goes, oh, oh, okay, well, have a good day, sir. I said, you too, ma'am. <laughs> here, here, let me give you another thought about repentance, ready? It's not about being perfect, it's about being free. The goal of God is not to expose your sins to the world to shame you. The goal of God is actually to get you to stop hiding behind certain things. Because when you hide, you never actually can be free. And I know there's a lot of people who are good moral people who are not living free lives. Because somewhere you feel less than. I'll give you an illustration that's not necessarily sin related, but it has to do with hiding. I was in college when I first discovered that my hair was falling out eight ways from Sunday. And for those of you men who have a great head of hair, I pray for you, but I don't like you very much. I have to tell you something. You offend me slightly. Because it was in college. And what makes it worse is my parents told me growing up, Jeremy, you're gonna have a full head of hair, not like my dad's bald. You're gonna have a full head of hair the rest of your life. And then in college, I'm actually studying and I'm doing this and I'm watching my hair descend upon the pages like it was like a waterfall. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. Look at that. I, it took me a second to put two and two together. I'm like, oh, I started picking up the hair and gluing it back. I'm like, stay in there. But here's what happened to me. In college, as a young man, when I realized my hair was falling out, I became unbelievably insecure and I started wearing a hat everywhere I went. I'm talking everywhere. And I began to grow my hair out. Quick tip real quick, if your hair ever does fall out, the shorter you keep your hair, the thicker it looks. That's from me to you. I did not know this. And in fact, for years in the insecurity, by the way, I bought, I bought, I've only bought two things off of infomercial. I bought an air fryer one time and then I bought this hair loss product. I was in college, it was $600. This is the stupidest investment I ever made in my life. Yeah, poor me. I don't even remember the name of it. I'm a moron. But for years, I'm telling you, for years, not only did I wear a hat, if I had to be in a, I, there's one college class I didn't want to take because he made us not wear hats. Or he made us, yeah, you had to take your hat off. I didn't want to take the class. That's how insecure I was about my hair loss. Pictures for years, and I have this massive forehead, you could put the globe on it. I was like, and it just light reflects off of it, and it's just incredible. As my big hair began to fall out, uh, I would do this like, with, with pictures and I would scrunch my forehead to make it seem like my hair was closer to where it should be. <laughs> Four years. I know, you get, you, listen, I say all these things, I point out my insecurities, but I know that you have a million of them too. You have a million of them. If your teeth are like split like the Red Sea in Moses, you know what you do? You smile like this. We all have them. What about the sin in our life? Some of you in this room, you can't help but lie all the time. I know in this room there's pornography. I know there's marriages that have failed. I know there's money that's been stolen. And I, I, I know this because it's, we're humans. And God knows this. And so he asks us, why are you hiding? Why are you, this is not a question of where are you hiding? It's a question of why are you hiding? He asks it to Adam and Eve, why? They're hiding because they feel less than. 
That's why they hide. That's why you hide. That's why you post your better pictures on social media and not the bad angles. That's why you move your forehead down. That's why you wear a hat. By the way, I wore a hat so much at graduation. This is true. And I still remember this to this day. I don't remember what the speaker said. I don't even remember all the things we did afterwards. At graduation, as all the graduates of my university were sitting in there, someone behind me had a conversation about me. And they asked the person next to them, why does the guy in front of us always wear a hat? And the person next to them said, well, he's going bald. That's why he's wearing a hat. And I heard all of this behind me in the graduation service. Nothing else is going to make you feel worse than that. And God asked, why do you hide? Why are you hiding? And because all of us, we feel less than the sin that we've done, the things that we've done wrong, the way that we end up living our life. And what does God do? He makes a way. And not just any way. He sends his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not have to hide anymore. That's the gospel. That you might have jacked stuff up in such a way where you feel like you have no way forward. But God actually has a plan. I was wrong. Listen, it's not about being perfect, it's about being free. The reason I bring all of this to you is this. The title of my message, The Gift of Being Present. I fear as Christians that we are not able to be present anymore around us. If you incorporate this rhythm of repentance into your life, where you acknowledge before God that you were wrong, and you invite God to come and change you from the inside out, I'm here to tell you something. One of the things that it's gonna do is it's gonna free you up to be a lot more at peace in the world that's around you. One of the reasons why we're always wrestling around us is because we ourselves are not at peace. Repentance gives you, your mind and your heart, the ability to say, I'm at peace before God. Things out there might be crazy, but right here and right here, I'm at peace. So let me give you a quick thought about being present, ready? This is what has to do with repentance. The only way that you can actually be present is to surrender a past that you cannot control and trust God with the future. Or to surrender a past you can't change and, and to, uh, sorry, hold on. Let me actually look at my notes. I just lost the moment there. Y'all pretend like that didn't just happen, okay? Where is my point? Y'all pretend, go back in time. All right, here it is. The only way, I'm gonna do it with, a, with that pastor, okay. The only way to be present is to surrender a past you cannot change and to trust God with a future you cannot control. You can't change where you've been and what you've done. And by the way, if God's able to forgive you of your past, don't you think that you can trust him with your future? Let me fin- end with this verse. Hebrews 4 tells us this, and I think this is beautiful. Since then, we have this great high priest who has entered heaven. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God so that we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. I showed you the pictures of that we're gonna go to in Saudi Arabia in January of a God who is teaching the Israelite people, I've made a way for you to get through this. And here in the New Testament, that same God who was with Moses and the Israelites came down and now he is our high priest. And the Bible says, guess what? That high priest, he believes in you and he intercedes for you. Do you know what it's like to have a God believe in you? You know what it has like anybody believe in you. If anyone just stopped and believe in you, there's something that transforms you from the inside out. 
I ran across a, a story about a basketball team actually in, uh, in, in Gainesville. And uh, they're called the Tornadoes. And the Gainesville Tornadoes have zero fans. Like literally zero fans would come to their basketball games. The reason for that is because the Gainesville Tornadoes happen to be at a youth detention facility where minors have committed felonies. And the only, one of the only perks that if, on good behavior that they get is that when they play on the basketball team for the Gainesville Tornadoes, they would actually get the chance to travel outside of the walls and to go somewhere else. But whenever they'd go to games, no one would be there to help cheer them on. And so they played a prep school. This is, a, I just think this is beautiful. They played a prep school, uh, the, the Vanguard College Prep in Waco. So they go from Gainesville, they go to Waco, they're gonna play basketball. And two of the basketball players on the other team, the, the Vanguard team, they're like, we don't wanna come to a game and play these guys and they have no one cheering in the stands. So two of the basketball players asked a whole bunch of people that when these young guys from the correctional place came out, if they could actually have fans for them to cheer them on. And a whole bunch of people at the game said, you know what, we can cheer these guys on. And so it's this beautiful story that happened. I find it awesome in Waco that when the Tornadoes, who never had fans to ever cheer them on, actually came to the basketball floor, they walked out. Do you know what they saw? A whole bunch of people cheering and holding signs and saying, man, it's awesome. We're gonna be on your side tonight. And as they played, it was this incredible, beautiful moment of a bunch of people who maybe they didn't know and they didn't know them who were saying, we're on your side. And it's beautiful. And they played their hearts out and it gave them something more than just cheering. It gave them dignity. Do you know what God does for you and I? We repent, we acknowledge where we were wrong. But I want you to know something about God. He never removes our dignity. Why? Because we have a high priest who says, when you come to me, you are gonna get mercy. You are gonna get forgiveness. You are gonna get grace. But guess what? I believe in you. I cheer you on from the mistakes that you have made. When you repent, when you acknowledge I was wrong, then God says, okay, I forgive you and set you free and put you on a new path. And you can go into the world, not as, a, not as, not as before, but as forgiven. This is a spiritual discipline that we can incorporate at every day, at every moment in our life. And do you know what it is like to go before God who sees everything that you've done wrong anyway, to love you despite your feelings and embrace you and hold you and to cheer you on, there is no one like him. So I challenge you today and tomorrow and the day after to repent. Acknowledge your sin. To go before you the throne of God, it says boldly that you would find mercy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that in this room there is shame and a lot of hiding and a lot of brokenness. We may not admit that to others. We may be good at putting on a show. But Holy Spirit, nothing escapes you. And the thing you desire for us is that we would not hide anymore, but that we would be set free. 
And your goal, God, isn't to expose us or to shame us more. Your goal is to heal us. And you can never heal what we hide. And so I thank you, God, that you have given us this word, repentance, to turn, to follow after you, to cry out to you and to hunger and to say, God, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And God, you say in your word that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There is no one who is like you. Help us to be people of all different backgrounds and life experiences who come to the same God and experience the same transformation of being made right before you. Simply because you made a way. So I just pray, Lord, that we would walk in this humbly and with a heart that is broken and contrite before you, but also full of joy at the salvation and grace that you offer. In your precious name, everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.